You're listening to Cape Watch Radio with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through the book of Acts. Call me sinners, poor, needy, and weak. He stands to save you now, full of pity and love, mighty power. He's willing and able, He calls you now. On it goes, the promises of God for our lives. The promises of God. You have these promises today. These greatest promises of all. The forgiveness of sin. The promise of everlasting life. The promises of fellowship forever with the living God. Are you claiming these promises today? Have you made a stand of faith for Jesus Christ by saying, yes, I want these promises to be true in my life. I want you in my life because all the promises are in Him, Christ. Yes and amen. As Christians, are we daily claiming the promises of God? Pastor Dave continues today's message on God's promises, reminding us that when God makes a promise, we can count on it. Be assured that God will complete the things concerning you, and all the promises in Christ are yes and amen. Now here's Pastor Dave with today's edition of Cape Watch Radio. Paul came to Rome in chains, chained to a Roman soldier. Look at verse 16. Now when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Maybe not the way Paul thought he would enter Rome, but he's in Rome nevertheless, chained to a guard. And they believed there were four-hour shifts. Paul constantly changed guards four hours. They changed shifts, and they were chained to Paul, even though he was by himself and had his own room. In fact, many believe that in the epistles, when Paul says, the house of Caesar greets you, he's talking about many of these soldiers who were chained to him for these hours on an end. I can imagine they fought with each other. You take your turn. No, you take your turn. I don't want to listen to that guy again. I would imagine all Paul did talk to these guys. I mean, after all, talk about a captive audience. Who was the prisoner? Think about it. So promises come in different forms in different ways. Everyone in here has someone they want to see saved. Everyone in here has someone they want to see come to the Lord. And every party in here probably has an idea of how that person should come to the Lord. Erase it, because that's not the way God's going to do it. It's going to come completely different than what you think. Completely different, but we all have our own ideas. In the Bible, Jesus the Messiah was prophesied some 300 times. He was prophesied some 300 times, but yet... He was born in a poor city of Bethlehem, which was prophesied, in a stable to a poor family. But the religious leaders didn't think the Messiah should come that way. They erred because they expected the Messiah to come in a different form. See, sometimes when God answers promises, he answers them in his way. See, God's promises take time. God's promises come in different forms than when we expect. And then thirdly, I noticed that God's promises need to be shared. We need to share God's promises with others. Look at verse 14. Where we found brethren and were invited to stay with them seven days, and so we went forward to Rome. They found brethren. Everywhere Paul went, he shared the promises of God. Everywhere he went, he shared with brothers and sisters that he met. Brethren. In Acts 13, 23, it says, From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus Christ. 
In Acts 13, 32, and we declare to you glad tidings that promise which was made to the fathers. Acts 26, 6. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God our fathers. Paul constantly talked about the promise of God, Jesus Christ, fulfilling the promise of the Messiah. Brethren, everywhere he met, he met brethren. Did you ever meet brethren when you're not in your own home? Did you ever meet someone who's a Christian and all of a sudden you have this instant connection with them? Of all places, we're down in Daytona Beach at the flea market in Daytona Beach. It's early in the morning and we're going through the flea market and they're setting up shop. And we happen to come by this jewelry place that's set up already and they're open. One of the very few shops that are open because it's very early. And the, the, the lady was in there fixing the thing, but there was this guy standing there. And I was wearing my hat that says Jesus on it. It's always an attention getter. Well, he struck up a conversation with him. Here he was a brother. Here he was a Christian from Michigan. And Frank and I stood there and talked to him, I don't know, what, half hour? Half hour? We stood there and talked to him. It was like we knew this guy all our lives. It was like we were old friends, old pals, old chums that we know. His name was Juan from Michigan. A brother. We had commonality. Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus run through our veins. We were saved by that blood. And that made us such a commonality that it was a wonderful thing to share with him and hear him share with us. And this is what Paul does. He saw brethren and he went, wow, saints are here. Now, how did they become saints? Who knows? Who knows how they became saints? Brethren, fellow Christians, Paul shared these promises everywhere he went. The fourth thing I can say is that the promises of God restore our faith. The promises of God restore our faith. Look at verse 15. And from there, when the brethren heard about us, they came to meet us as far as Apiforum and the three inns. When Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. Now, another little history lesson. The Appi Forum is about 45 miles from Rome, and the Three Inns is about 20 miles from Rome. In other words, half the distance again. Even though Paul was a prisoner of Rome, he was treated by the brethren as if he was a conquering hero. Because back in this time, when the conquering heroes came back from battle, this is how they were treated. The city would rush out to meet them, and they would all give them hallelujahs and shouts of wonderful joy when they came into the city. These people, here Paul's coming, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, and they run out there to greet him, and Paul says, thank the Lord. And when Paul writes this letter, he wrote it to the believers in Rome. That meant there were already believers there. There were already believers in Rome. And some think that there might have been people in Pentecost that day who received the word and then went back to Rome. And that's how this church started. So these brethren know now the apostles Paul coming. And can you imagine the joy in the apostles' heart being chained to these people, being led with all these other prisoners? I mean, we know that there was, what, 276 people on the boat or 296? I forget what it says. There was a little under 300 people on the boat. We don't know how many people were prisoners, but I would imagine the vast majority of them were prisoners. And you can imagine this long line of prisoners all chained together walking up, and all these people are coming. It doesn't say how many, but it says brethren, so we, more than one. And they come out to greet Paul. And they treat him like a conquering hero, and here he is, prisoners. What a restoration of faith, because 
The Greek word here used for courage is tharsos, and this means daring and boldness. When Paul saw them, his heart soared, and he became more bold, if you could say that about the Apostle Paul, because he was probably one of the most boldest apostles of all. I mean, he was quite bold, but he became even more emboldened. The sight of the brethren covering, it must have brought tears to his eyes, and he thanked God. Right there, Scripture says, he thanked God. Wow. That was an exciting time. You know, when the Lord fulfills a promise in us, it encourages us. It strengthens us, and it helps us to continue on. And we need to give God all glory. We need to give him all honor. We need to give him everything that's due his name when these promises are fulfilled. Which brings me to the next and probably one of the most important points, the fifth point. All God's promises are true. All God's promises are true. Because I don't know about your Bibles, but my Bibles has divided things up into little small parts. And in the New King James, the title over this section says, Arrival in Rome. That means Paul made it to Rome. God said you would go to Rome. Paul made it to Rome. God's promises are true. When God promises you something, when you see something in Scripture, it becomes true. It is true. God gave Paul the desire of his heart to be in Rome. He longed to be in Rome. Go back and read Romans 1.13 when he's writing a letter. How I long to be with you. How I long to see you, my brethren. How I long to be in your arms. God's promise is true. But we should expect that. We should expect that because if you look at scriptures, if you look at scriptures, I don't know if I can get to them all, but in 1 Kings, in 1 Kings chapter 8, in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 56, it says this, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he promised, that there has not failed one word of all his good promises which he promised through his servant Moses. That's a faithful God. That's a faithful God. Joshua 23, 14 says, Behold, this day, Joshua speaking, I'm going the way of all the earth. And you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. When God makes a promise, you can count on it. Because God is ever faithful. Paul wrote to his son Timothy and said, God is faithful when we're faithless. God can't deny himself. His his faith is never ending. God is always faithful. Look how many times Jesus predicted that he would rise from the dead. Look how many times he told the disciples that he would rise from the dead. And guess what? He did. He did. And he was seen by over 500 people at one time. We have prophecies regarding the end times. It's called eschatology. We have prophecies regarding end times. And they're being fulfilled one after the other. In fact, many people believe that the last prophecy to be fulfilled is the rapture of the church. That all other prophecies seem to have been fulfilled and have come together except that rapture of the church. And then the prophecies for the nation Israel in that seven-year period called the tribulation and the great tribulation will all take place after the church is removed. When I tell you that Jesus is coming, 
I'm only repeating his words. I'm only repeating the words that he said to the disciples. And if I go, I'll come back and receive you so that where I can be, you can be. And that's a promise we have of God. That's a promise that he has given us. Remember in our definition of promises that God made, it speaks of assurance. And this assurance rests solely on the perfect justice and power, the benevolence and the immutable veracity of God. A God who cannot fail in performance. Imagine that. Receiving a promise that cannot fail. Wow. I believe we could live with that. I believe there could be joy in that. This brings me to the final conclusion that I've come to. This might be the biggest one of all. God's promises don't depend on me. God's promises don't depend on me. I love that. I love that. Do you realize the pressure that that takes off? Do you realize that the pressure that takes off of us? Remember when we spoke the definition of the promise, we said that the promise is not so much contingent on what is promised, but that it's contingent on who made the promise. When God makes a promise, you can guarantee that he will fulfill his promise. I love the promise that Paul told the Philippians in Philippians 1.6, you know it. He talked about his confidence in God's ability to complete the work, being confident is the very thing, that he has begun the work and you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God is a worker who completes his work. Listen to what Spurgeon said about this. Quote, where is there an instance of God's beginning any work and leaving it incomplete? Show me for once a world abandoned and thrown aside half form. Show me a universe cast off from the great potter's wheel with the design in the outline, that clay half-hardened and the form unshapely for its incompleteness. God finishes what he starts. God started a work in you, and he will be ever faithful to complete that work in you. Jesus, in the book of Hebrews, is called what? The author and finisher of of our faith. We've got to realize that what God has begun, he will complete. He's not like me, praise God. I have a billion projects that I've started. I mean, they're all over the place. I trip over them. I go, you know, I'm going to get to that someday. I'm going to finish that project someday, not counting all the wonderful wild ideas I have in my head that I have to do this and I have to do that. They never even get off the drawing board. No, when God decides he's going to start something, God completes it because he's faithful. And we can trust in him to complete his promises. We are confident, like Paul, that God will do what he says to do. And there's a great verse in Psalm 138, verse 8. And it says, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. And the word perfect here means complete. Means complete. God is going to complete the things concerning you. He's going to complete the things concerning me because that's what kind of a God he is. He's a caring God, a loving God, and wants nothing but your best interest at heart and wants nothing for more for you to be satisfied with your love because he loves you completely. He's going to complete the work of his spirit within your life. He began it, he'll finish it. He's the author and finisher. It's his work to do. It's not depending upon you. Praise God. Praise the Lord. It's not dependent upon me. So I guess... 
the biggest question I have to ask is, are you trusting in God's promises today? Are you trusting in those 3,753 promises that were made? As I said earlier, that whatever circumstance you're facing, there's a promise from the Lord that speaks to that circumstance. Remember, the promise is only as good as the faithfulness of the person who makes the promise. Numbers 23.19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent or change his mind. He has spoken, and will he not make it good? We know that all God's promises are yes and amen, but all those promises where? In Christ. All promises in Christ are yes and amen. God will always fulfill his promises. What type of promises are we talking about? In 2 Peter chapter 1, in, in verses 2 to 4, it says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which he has given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. These exceedingly great and precious promises. What kind of things has God promised you? What kind of circumstances are you in today that you need to glean from God these promises? Are you lacking in ability to do something? Maybe you're lacking in ability to accomplish something. Well, fine. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. John 15.5, apart from him, I can do nothing. Promises. Maybe you're suffering from anxiety. You know the verse. Philippians 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Are you fearful today? Do you have fear in your life? Are you fearful of things? In 2 Timothy 1, 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power and love and of a sound mind. God has given you these things. It's a promise. We have it. We glean from it. Maybe you have a troubled heart today. Maybe you have a troubled heart. Maybe you have a troubled heart and you're in need of God's peace. Jesus spoke of this very thing when he said in John 14, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Why? He says in 14.1, you believe in God, believe in me also. A promise, don't let your heart be troubled. Maybe you suffer from depression. Maybe you suffer from depression. Come talk to me. I suffer greatly from depression. Great bouts of depression in my life. Great bouts. But David... David did too. David's psalmist. And in Psalm 42, verse 5, he addresses depression when he says, why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? That's depression. Downcast soul, a disquieted soul. And he gives you the answer. Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. There's a promise from God that if you're depressed and you hope in him and you look to him, you're going to be lifted up. Maybe you're weary. Just fat it. Life's tough. 
Maybe you're weary. You know the scripture I'm going to here in Matthew 11:28. 28. Jesus says, come to me. All who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's a promise of rest from Christ. You look at this, and you see these beautiful, precious promises. These precious, precious promises. And there are promises for addictions. There are promises for marriage. There's promises for finances, protection, guidance, strength, self-control, patience, love. The list goes on and on and on. These promises, these great, exceedingly precious promises that we have in God's Word for us to glean from and to be encouraged. All for us. And there's a promise that appears in Scriptures three times. When Scripture says it once, we pay attention. When Scripture says it twice, we take a double take. But when it mentions it three times, I think it's really, really important. And this Scripture is hugely important. You can find it in Joel 2.32. You can find it in Acts 2.21. And you find it in Romans 10.13. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now there's a promise. Now there is a promise from God. Promise of salvation through Jesus Christ. It's no longer associated with the nation of Israel, whomever. It goes far beyond the nation of Israel. It goes far beyond any nation or boundaries. It's whomever. And then once you've accepted Christ as your Savior, another promise comes in, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. On and on it goes, the promises of God for our lives. The promises of God. You have these promises today. These greatest promises of all. The forgiveness of sin. The promise of everlasting life. The promises of fellowship forever with the living God. Are you claiming these promises today? Have you made a stand of faith for Jesus Christ by saying, yes, I want these promises to be true in my life. I want you in my life because all the promises are in him, Christ. Yes and amen. Where do I find these promises? In Christ. What do I glean from these promises? In Christ. Christ promised the Holy Spirit to come to the apostle. Wait for the promise of the Father. And when you receive it, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit and you'll be witnesses of me. We have another promise. You know, have you ever tried to set a fire when there's already been a fire? Have you ever tried to set something on fire that's already been burned? Kind of hard to do. Kind of hard to do. Well, you can't place judgment on someone who's already been judged. And If you've accepted Christ in your life, you've been judged. You've been judged, and you've been found not guilty because of Jesus Christ. It says you've been justified, just as if it never happened. You've been justified in Christ. And the wrath of God has been satisfied by the blood of Jesus Christ. For all. Well, that's all the time we have for today here on Cape Watch Radio with Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May. 
Don't forget to join us next time as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. Now, as we mentioned at the beginning of today's program, we'd like to make available to you a free copy of today's message. We can send you a copy of today's message on audio CD when you email us at info at capewatchradio.com. That's info at capewatchradio.com. Or you can listen to or download the message as originally recorded at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. Just visit our website at www.capewatchradio.com. If you can't get to your computer to download or place your order, you can always call us at 609-884-5821. We'll be happy to help you. Again, that toll-free number is 609-884-5821. Again, we invite you to visit our website at www.capewatchradio.com. where we provide helpful information about our beliefs, service times, and a convenient map to our church. You can also email us with any questions or comments you might have. And that address again is info at capewatchradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you're in the Irma, New Jersey area and would like to visit us, Calvary Chapel Cape May is located at 596 Seashore Road in Irma, New Jersey. Cape Watch Radio is the radio ministry of Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel Cape May. Please join us next time as we continue our study through the book of Acts. That's next time on Cape Watch Radio.